Chapter thirty eight of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty eight. There is a deep nick in time's restless wheel for each man's good, when which nick comes, it strikes, as rhetoric yet works not persuasion, but only as a mean to make it work. So no man riseth by his real merit, but when in cries clink in his razor's spirit fate hath no voice but the heart's impulses having once in a fortunate hour made a halt upon the road to ruin jared gurner seemed fairly disposed to stop short altogether from that broad highway and to turn his steps towards that narrower and more thorny path which honest industry travels not altogether without cheering sunshine or mild refreshing shower the sight of his daughter refined and beautified by her three years of prosperous married life the thought of his bonny lass lou made a lady and yet not too proud to own and love him had not been without a wholesome effect hang it all he exclaimed after that unexpected visit of mrs leyburne's in voysey street come what may i won't disgrace lou no abusive snob shall ever put her out of countenance by calling her father a welcher i'll try and make both ends meet with the three hundred a year leyburne allows me and i'll live like an artist and a gentleman and the first step in that direction added jared with a touch of rancour shall be to shut up that blessed rag-shop downstairs the second-hand wardrobe had been ever a bone of contention between mrs gurner and her son it was a trade against which jared's soul revolted he hated the look of the tawdry finery hanging in the window he was suspicious of the women who came generally sheltered by the shades of evening to buy or sell the traffic might add a few shillings to the weekly stock but its tawdry disreputability was poorly atoned for by the shillings that dribbled through mrs gurner's hands and served to pay the milkman or propitiate the chandler with a trifle on account jared went downstairs at once and into the shop where he made a contemptuous survey of his mother's stock in trade set forth and displayed in a manner which mrs gurner considered taking a limp blue gauze ball-dress crowned with a crumpled wreath of artificial camellias a pair of soiled white satin shoes daintily placed side by side with a dilapidated fan a rusty black moire antique gracefully draped with a ragged yak lace shawl a ruby velvet bonnet perched on the top of an imitation sable muff suggestive of comfortable attire for the coming winter i suppose taking them in the heap they might realize a five-pound note mused jared Mrs. Gurner emerged from her retirement on the other side of a screen of drapery and confronted her son with an injured air. She had been reading the seventeenth number of Mabel Mandeville, or the Duchess's death warrant, in a comfortable corner, sheltered from autumn's sharpening breezes by a tumbled velvet paletot and a silk dress or two hanging on a clothes-horse. "'You've no call to depreciate the stock, Jared,' she said. You had the full benefit of that one pound seventeen and sixpence I got for the violet satin, and if it hadn't been for that money we should have been left without a drop of water for the tea-kettle. The collector called that very afternoon quite out of patience. That's all very well, mother, but how many one pound seventeen and sixpences have we ever got out of this blessed hole? Half a crown or three and sixpence has been about your biggest line in a general way. It has been a help, Jared perhaps it has but i mean to try if we can't do without such helps in future i've always detested the business you know and the class of people it brings about us whether they're ladies maids out of place or something worse and now that lou has come home as good a lady as any in the land i've made up my mind to shut up shop so you may just put your rags together and call in some one to value them and then sell em off hand 
there's still the goodwill of the business jared if you think of moving suggested mrs gurner dolefully the goodwill of a business that brings in something under fifteen shillings a week at its best ejaculated jared contemptuously besides i don't think of moving i mean to furnish this room decently as a parlour instead of pigging in that hole at the back and in short mother though i dare say you won't believe me i mean to turn over a new leaf and live like an artist and an honest man i'm sure i'm very glad to hear you say as much jared replied mrs gurner with an emphasis on the word say three hundred a year ought to be enough for us to live upon comfortably and keep up a genteel appearance i don't know about the genteel appearance said mr gurner doubtfully if it means living in a terrace of tabbies and government clerks and going to church on sunday mornings it's out of my line boise street does well enough for me mrs gurner heaved a plaintive sigh it isn't boise street i'm afraid of jared she said but the public's in the neighbourhood you'll never be free from temptation while you live within five minutes walk of the king's head jared laughed this remonstrance to scorn do you suppose that a tavern parlour is an institution peculiar to the neighbourhood of oisey street mother he asked there are publics in your virtuous suburbs yes and sporting publics too in spite of the tabbies but i do honestly mean to cut the turf it has never brought me luck i haven't the right sort of brains for bookmaking it wants your stolid plodding dullard to make a napoleon of the turf i never was good at figures art and arithmetic won't run in double harness comforted by this view of things mr gurner felt equal to turning his back upon the sporting public and the ring it was a consoling sensation to feel himself too good for that kind of life and to ascribe his failure to a superior genius nor had his friends of the turf behaved particularly well to him of late even mr jobury that mildest of butchers had forgotten himself so far as to use insulting reference with regard to the non-payment of that crown piece borrowed on hampton racecourse a paltry sum which no gentleman would have degraded himself by remembering his coffers being replenished by a handsome gift from louisa jared devised the most cutting manner of repaying the trifling loan loftily ignoring diverse previous amounts which would have swollen the crown to a five-pound note he called at mr jobury's one day at the family dinner hour and delivered the five shillings with sundry halfpence neatly wrapped in paper and delicately sealed to the small domestic who opened the door requesting the maiden in a voice intended to be audible in mr jobury's parlour to inform her master that he refunded herewith the loan mr jobury had been so uneasy about principal and interest to date and that he would be obliged for a receipt in full at mr jobury's convenience this message delivered in jared's haughtiest tone meant eternal divorcement between jobury and gurner three days afterwards mr gurner received an unmistakably feminine epistle in a scratchy calligraphy beginning with mr jobury's compliments and finishing in the first person with small eyes requesting the repayment of those other monies which mr gurner stood indebted to his quondam friend but of this somewhat vituperative composition jared discreetly avoided all acknowledgment having thus dissevered himself from his bosom friend jared felt that he was on his way to the temple of virtue the sight of his daughter had moved him deeply her grace her refinement awakened in him a new disgust for his own sordid life her affection unchanged and unchanging touched some gentler chord in his nature he remembered remorsefully how little he had ever done to culture so bright a flower how this poor child had grown up like cinderella amidst dirt and ashes without even a fairy godmother and how small a right he had to the love she yielded him so freely 
i suppose you had to come to me on the sly my girl he said to his daughter that night in boise street no father i never have any secrets from walter she answered gently we only reached london at four o'clock this afternoon we are staying at the charing cross for a few days before we start for our autumn tour and directly after dinner i sent for a cab and came here to you grandmother was so pleased to see me it seemed like old times except that there was no nagging added lou with a smile but your husband didn't like your coming here i'll warrant said jared moodily well no father honestly he would keep us apart if he could he hasn't quite forgiven you for keeping him in hiding all the time he was ill he thinks that through your conduct on that occasion he has been made to play a paltry part towards that poor young lady miss chamney why what a blessed fool you are lou exclaimed her father with mingled aggravation and contempt don't you know that he would have married that poor young lady but for my coup d'etat if i had not contrived to make dr ollivant believe he was dead and done for young Leyburn would have been taken home to mr chamney's house and nursed and petted and cried over by the young lady and then when he got well of course he'd have married her as in duty bound and been miserable ever afterwards since any one with an eye in their head could have told that you were the only woman he ever cared for there never was such a pig-headed ungrateful girl as you lou or looking at things in the wrong light if it hadn't been for my seizing upon the chance that providence flung in my way you'd never have been walter leyburne's wife i know that father and the knowledge of it has given me many a miserable hour i owe all my happiness to a trick i feel as if we had set a snare for walter and that i was the meanest of women in marrying him you couldn't have married him if he hadn't asked you and he wouldn't have married you if he hadn't loved you better than any one else retorted jared with ever-increasing contempt but i think you might be grateful to the man who saved your lover from his entanglement with another woman and brought you and him together by one happy stroke of business if i'd been a sleepy kind of customer and let the golden opportunity slip by me you wouldn't be mrs walter leyburne touched by this reproof lou put her arms round her father's neck and kissed him as tenderly as at their first greeting dear father i am not ungrateful she said i know that all you did was for my sake only only you are ashamed to remember that you owe all your good fortune to your poor old father's help never mind lou it is but the way of the world when a man has mounted a ladder the first thing he does is to kick it down i'm not offended and i'm not surprised jared stood upon his dignity for a few minutes after this and lou had some slight difficulty in bringing him round again to his pleasanter humour but he could not long resist the blandishments of the daughter who had been made a lady she had an air and a grace that were so new to him her voice always rich and full had now a subdued sweetness that moved him like music the wandering life she had led with her artist husband the communion with all that is loveliest and grandest in nature the study of all that is purest and noblest in art had been a higher educational process than any formal scholastic routine ever devised by mortal teacher and lou had profited by her opportunities of culture jared's rugged nature succumbed to a new influence at parting that night lou slipped her purse into her father's hand it's only a little of my pocket-money father she said but i dare say it may be useful my dear it will replied jared frankly and by and by if i can persuade walter to stop in england and settle down to his work and make a name for himself as i am sure he could i shall be able to come to see you very often father 
Lou said tenderly. You would like me to come, wouldn't you? Like you to come? Why, what else in the world have I to be fond of or proud of, Lou? And you know I always was proud of you, my lass. Not that I ever thought you'd grow up such a beauty. And perhaps Walter might be of some use to you professionally, continued Lou, blushing at the paternal praise. He could recommend you to people who want pictures restored or violins, doc, uh, renovated, said Lou, tripping a little over the dubious word. Perhaps he might, my dear, if he cared to take so much trouble, replied Jared rather stiffly. And thus father and daughter had parted a day or two before Mr. and Mrs. Leyburn left London for that pleasant leisurely tour which brought them ultimately to the Irish lakes. It was the remembrance of this interview with his daughter which inspired Jared with the yearning for a life somewhat more decent in tone than the loose fragmentary existence he had been leading for the last year or two. He did not sigh for actual respectability, days and nights regulated by the clock, meals at stated hours, a ten-roomed house in the suburbs, a bed of geraniums in a garden fourteen feet by twelve, and a parlour-maid with a white apron. These things had no attraction for him. But it had somehow entered into his mind that there was a better life within his capacity than that downhill career which he had been travelling with such companions as Joseph Jobury and that gentleman's particular circle. Nay, evoked from some hidden depths in his nature, there had shone forth of late stray gleams of manhood and independence. That five-pound note earned from Mr. Ahasuerus, the violin-dealer, by his own patient labour, had been sweeter to him than Dr. Ollivant's hush-money, or even largesse from Walter Leyburn, on whose purse a father-in-law had some claim. Jared called in the nearest auctioneer without delay, and asked his advice as to the disposal of the second-hand wardrobe. Mr. Plyson, the auctioneer, who was experienced in the sale and barter of petty stocks and trade, looked about him dubiously for a minute or so before replying, how long have you had the business he asked mr gurner it's my mother's business not mine answered jarret contemptuously she's been trading in these blessed rags for the last nineteen or twenty years i believe then why not sell the stock and goodwill together said the auctioneer that's what i say ejaculated mrs gurner dolefully put an advertisement in lloyd's weekly a genteel old established business admirably adapted to a widow or two sisters only a small capital required, nothing degrading to the feelings. That's how I've always looked at it, moaned Mrs. Gurner. The stock by itself would hardly realize ten pounds, I should think, said the professional valuer, but the stock in goodwill ought to bring fifty. If you put it in that light, I'm agreeable, answered Jared. I don't know that I wouldn't as leave live anywhere else, provided I can get a north light. The matter was decided on the spot. The auctioneer was to find a purchaser for the business and a tenant for the house, in one and the same person, and Mrs. Gurner and her son were to transport their household goods to some new abode. So cleverly did this accomplished agent manage matters, that in less than three weeks he reappeared in Voysey Street with two maiden sisters, whose minds were set upon a genteel business, and who entertained Mrs. Gurner's ideas about the vulgarity of scales and weights. To these two spinsters, sallow of complexion and sour of aspect, Mr. Plyson exhibited Mrs. Gurner's account-books, and demonstrated by a species of arithmetical conjuration that the business had been an eminently remunerative one during that lady's lengthened career. He dwelt much upon the lady's wardrobe having been established twenty years, whereby he argued its uncheckered prosperity, 
and was altogether so convincing that the elderly spinsters after coming backwards and forwards several times and mauling about the stock and trade as jarred called it ultimately agreed to give five-and-forty pounds for the stock and goodwill and to become proprietors as annual tenants of the house and lodgers all unfurnished and permanencies mrs gurner remarked proudly mrs gurner was ravished at the prospect of removal to a new abode her dreams were haunted by visions of eight-roomed tenements at brompton or south kensington districts which nowadays represent a distinction without a difference she thought seriously of the kensington road and had her fancies about camberwell and in her daily tasks and nightly slumbers she was pursued by the image of a nice little bit of garden which with the natural yearning of a soul long prisoned in labyrinthine wilderness of brick and mortar she had set her mind upon possessing it would be such an interest for you jarred she pleaded and so good for your health to do a little gardening of a morning before breakfast if it was only to train a scarlet runner you'd enjoy your roll and your rasher or your yarmouth bloater ever so much better for a breath of fresh air well i shouldn't mind a bit of a grass plough and a tree to smoke my pipe under said jarred yieldingly or an arbour jarred with a nice little table in it and all comfortable hops grow so quickly and climb so gracefully yes and so do slugs and spiders grunted jarred with a cynical air do you remember that arbour at cricklewood where we had tea one sunday afternoon ever so many years ago when you took me for an outing jarred we did so enjoy ourselves and it was quite romantic and rural like to hear the cows lowing in the meadows and to see the hansoms driving past the welsh harp i'll tell you what said jarred after a few thoughtful whiffs of his pipe i wouldn't mind a nice little detached cottage where we could be snug and comfortable and all to ourselves and where lou could come to see us when she had the mind without having a pack of street boys and magging old women staring at her but i won't have anything to say to brompton or south kensington that sounds too much like tabbies and psalm singing besides which i'm afraid the rents would be beyond us in that neighbourhood replied mrs gurner ready to concede any point now that jarred seemed inclined to satisfy the desire of her soul for a suburban residence and a garden of course said jarred whenever there's psalm singing the rents go up you stick a gothic church with a tall steeple in the middle of an empty field and three years afterwards you've got a genteel suburb the semi-detached villas sprout up like mushrooms after rain i'll tell you what old lady if you've set your heart on a bit of garden i'll walk over camberwell way this afternoon and look about me lord jarred cried mrs gurner enraptured when you speak like that you remind me of your father in his best days thank you mother i dare say you mean it as a compliment but i don't care to be reminded of any resemblance between myself and that party he was a fine man as ever wore shoe-leather when he and i were married answered mrs gurner plaintively you remember him when he was but a wreck jarred when things had gone wrong with him and he'd been led astray but you oughtn't to be hard upon him jarred it isn't given to every one to keep the right path and there's many times i've sat in this chair and sobbed my heart out for fear your poor father's weakness was hereditary and you was going the same way no said jarred with dignity i'm not a saint but i have contrived to stop short of felony ah jarred if you knew how narrow is the line of divergence your poor father would never have gone astray if it hadn't been for the betting ring 
he always used to say it was a mill-stream and it would suck him down some day and so it did i think you may as well let bygones be bygones mother there's no particular good in raking up stale mud when the heart is overloaded jared there must be some relief you'd better employ yourself in furbishing up the stock against those two unhappy females enter into possession i'll take an atlas as far as walworth gate said jared putting on his hat cold harbour lane is a lovely neighbourhood suggested mrs gurner i remember the famous greenacre murder when i was a girl and a portion of the body being found in coal harbour lane there's the grove too where george barnwell but jared had vanished and mrs gurner with her chronic sigh took up a clothes-brush and began the work of renovation upon a well-worn velvet mantle perhaps jared in yielding to his mother's desire for fresh woods and pastures new in the shape of a bit of garden was not altogether sacrificing inclination to duty in sooth since the idea of mending his ways and breaking with the joberry set had stolen upon him voysey street had lost much of its old familiar charm voysey street without the joberry set was dismal as a deserted club-house and jared felt that his only chance of holding himself aloof from the too fascinating parlour of the king's head was to put a three-mile walk or a threepenny omnibus ride between his own abode and temptation even then there was the possibility that the tempter might be too strong for him he might find himself drawn back to the enchanted spot yet by quarrelling with joberry he had as he told himself taken a step in the right direction he and mr joberry now cut each other with cruelest deliberation at every chance encounter but where joberry overcome by a gush of feeling to extend his hand and cry gurner what an ass you've made of yourself jarrett felt that all the strength of his manhood would not be strong enough to resist that friendly appeal he would melt at once and he and joseph joberry would again be as brothers so jarrett made his way into regent street by various short-cuts through noisome alleys having your thoroughbred londoner's antipathy to broad and airy streets in cleanly rectangular ways and anon clambered up to the box-seat of an atlas which carried him as far as walworth turnpike mr gurner had passed the few years of his wedded life in this neighbourhood and a thread of tender memories was interwoven with those narrow side streets which intersect the district between the two broad highways of walworth and kennington he had been fond of his young wife after his own careless fashion and they had lived comfortably together for four years of a nomadic kind of existence roaming from lodging to lodging with a small cart-load of battered old goods and chattels which just served to furnish a couple of rooms in a scanty gipsy fashion they had moved for the mere pleasure of locomotion it would seem but urged thereto by some fond hallucination that the new second floor to which they were going was infinitely superior in accommodation and situation to the domicile they were leaving and in this manner had peregrinated all over walworth now to be found on a first floor in beresford street anon ascending a story higher in manor place or making a flank movement to hampton street mrs jarrett gurner had died of a cold caught in her last change of abode on which occasion the nomads had pitched their tent too soon after the scrubbing of the floors old mrs gurner was wont to describe pathetically how that damp second floor back had settled upon louisa's lungs but the gods may have beheld that young matron with peculiar favour inasmuch as the fatal shaft struck her before age had withered or custom staled her in the estimation of mr gurner she died at four-and-twenty years of age and jared honestly lamented her it was after her death that he cast in his lot with his mother and became joint proprietor with her of the house in voysey street whither louisa then between two and three years old was conveyed 
and thus it happened that loo had grown up in voysey street and had no memory of any other shelter than that dingy old tenement in a decayed locality to-day surveying the bustling walworth road from the box-seat of the atlas jarred felt a pang of regret for his bright young wife dead twenty years ago he remembered their shifty wandering life their cosy little hot suppers and savoury meat teas the banquets they had made upon bloaters and bread and butter their aldermanic feasts upon sausages or a grilled haddock their evening rambles in the road when the shop windows were lighted and the pavements crowded and the scene had for them all the life and brightness of a parisian boulevard poor old days they're past and gone jarred said to himself with a sigh i should have been a better man i think if louisa had lived an idle fancy this perhaps yet the thought had a softening influence and mr gurner esteemed himself more kindly on account of that capacity for better things which had been nipped in the bud by his wife's untimely death with this softer feeling full upon him and at every footstep recalling fond memories of his youth jarred peregrinated camberwell and about sunset discovered a queer little lopsided house with a weedy neglected garden backing on to a canal the garden was small certainly but it was larger than the oblong patch of barren ground which is usually allotted to a modern villa within three miles of charing cross and it was screened from the outer world by a dense hedge of elder hawthorn in the middle of the rank grass plat there stood a fine old pear-tree a tree that must have been planted a century ago when camberwell was among the most rustic of suburban villages a tree with a thick rugged trunk and spreading branches which in this autumnal season bore actual pears they might have the flavour of turnips and the consistence of wood but they were pears that pear-tree decided jarred there was a decent-sized room on the first floor with a window facing north an apartment which would serve for mr gurner's workroom and he did not concern himself in any wise about the rest of the rooms which were somewhat small and eccentric in shape he made no inquiries as to coal-cellar or wash-house he drew no evil augury from the smoke-blackened chimney-piece in the kitchen but he struck a bargain on the spot with the agent who showed him the tenement he was to have the house malvina cottage was its name rent-free for the ensuing quarter on consideration of his foregoing all repair and embellishment thereof and at an annual rent of five-and-twenty pounds afterwards and it's one of the cheapest houses in camberwell said the agent with conviction and one of the most convenient for a small family it seems to have been a longish time to let remarked jarred contemplating the weedy garden i might have let it no end of times if i hadn't stuck out for a substantial tenant replied the agent by the by i suppose you can give satisfactory references i have lived twenty years in the house i now occupy said jarred loftily and i can refer you to my landlord that's more than sufficient jarred returned to voysey street after dark well satisfied with his work that pear-tree had fascinated him he had pleasant ideas of long lazy sabbath mornings seated in a beehive chair under that tree smoking the pipe of contentment and listening to the church bells as they called less independent-minded citizens to the morning service he liked the notion of malvina cottage that domicile being in a peculiarly retired corner a narrow little bit of lane between a church and the canal which led nowhere he felt that he could live his own life there and that his artistic powers in the manipulation of the fiddle family would burgeon afresh in that peaceful retirement he gave mrs gurner a glowing description of the cottage firing that long-suffering matron's soul with the idea that she was going to begin life afresh as a lady you can keep a decent servant old woman he said 
not one of your chance girls that come from nowhere and are always gone home to their mothers when one wants them to run on an errand on the income Laburn allows us and what i can add to it we ought to live comfortably and so we can jared if you will keep away from the public house i mean to do it mother i shall take my glass of hollands and water at home like a gentleman i'm sick of your public-house riff-raff this was jared gurner's renunciation of his vices and he was very much in earnest he had tasted too much of the dust and ashes that constitute the core of life's dead sea-fruit and was inclined to forego pleasures that had brought discomfort and disgust in their train and deep in his heart there lurked the desire to be more worthy of his handsome daughter a less incongruous element in mrs walter Leyburn's life i know she's fond of me he said to himself and she has been true as steel from first to last but if she were to meet me walking in the street with any of my old chums she'd be obliged to cut me i should like to stand a little bit higher in the social scale so that lou could point to me and say that's my father without a blush End of chapter thirty eight